going to continue in our study in Acts chapter 9. If you divide the book of Acts into uh, two sections, you could perhaps divide it from Acts chapter 1 through chapter 12, which is primarily focused on the ministry of Peter, and then Acts chapter 13 through 28, which is uh, focused on the ministry of Paul. Uh, you can also divide it geographically by the reach of the church. Uh, Acts chapter 1 through 7, you see the ministry in Jerusalem alone. And then when the persecution arose, you find the ministry expanding in chapter 8 through 12 into Judea and Samaria. And then from Acts chapter 13 through the remainder of the book, you find the work of God expanding into the uttermost part of the earth, which is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that Jesus Christ instructed, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so Acts is really the documentation of that happening. Um, Acts 9 here, verse 1 through 31, is the account, and I'll just summarize that chapter. We'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 26. But Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through, or chapter 9, verse 1 through 31, is the account of Saul's persecution, conversion, calling, baptism, and here we're going to see desire to join the church at Jerusalem. The next time we read of Saul, we're going to end here, Saul. The next time we're going to read of Saul, we will find him serving in the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And so this is that account of that. There's kind of a, um, a break in the ministry of Peter in Jerusalem. And we have a focus on Saul and his conversion, calling, baptism, uh, placing in the church of Jerusalem. And then it ends and then we pick it up. We see him again in Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13 is where the church in Antioch is going to send out what we would see as the first missionary. Uh, the model that we find today is that he would go from city to city and then come back to the church of Antioch. Uh, we know when the, there was already evangelism happen, happening uh, in Acts chapter 1 through chapter 8, right, when they go into Judea and Samaria. But the first time you see them actually sending out a missionary who come back to comes back to report to the church is found in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We'll see that at a later time. As we look at this chapter here, Acts 9, verse 9 through 25, is the record of Saul's time at Damascus. Remember, he was going to Damascus to imprison believers to bring them back to Jerusalem, imprisoned. Uh, and so he is converted, he is called, but he would spend some time in Damascus. Then from verse 26 to 31 is the record of Saul's time at Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so uh, there is something that happened between Saul's time in Damascus and Saul's journey to Jerusalem. Uh, if you notice with me in verse 19 of the chapter, before we, we read in our text, verse 19, the Bible says, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So notice the Bible here doesn't say uh, weeks or years or months. It just says days. How long? We don't know. 
Uh, but he spends certain days at Damascus. When we read verse 26 of the same chapter, the Bible says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. So what we read here in Acts 9 is that Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. He gets to Damascus. He spends certain days in Damascus. He preaches Christ. And the next thing you read after this time of Damascus, you read him going to Jerusalem and remaining in Jerusalem. But there's actually something that happened in between that. Uh, Paul, in his epistle to the church at Galatia, gives insight into something that is not mentioned by Luke in the book of Acts. In Galatians 1 verse 16, Paul writes to the church at Galatia and he says this, uh, he reveals his calling, he says, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with them fifteen days. So basically between the time in Damascus, between the time of his conversion and the time he would be in Jerusalem, three years expired. So, we don't see that, right, in uh, Acts chapter 9, but we know Paul would spend three years, but I, I believe the three years is between the time he was converted to the time he is in Jerusalem. So he is going to be in Damascus and Arabia in Acts chapter 9 for three years. How long was he in Arabia? How long was he in Damascus? Maybe he went back and forth. We don't know. But the point is there'd be three years here that would expire between his conversion and the time he's in Jerusalem. Now, as much as I would like to deal with Paul's trip to Arabia and what happened there, I will not be preaching on this this morning simply because the book of Acts does not mention it. Uh, And since we are doing an expository series through Acts, as much as I'm tempted to do that, I'm not going to deal with it at this time. So I'll just put that out there. So you have to keep reading, coming to church, and then one day I'll deal with uh, Paul's trip to Arabia. But the point is, it's not mentioned here in Acts 9. But notice, as we begin reading, turn with me, notice we're in chapter 9, notice verse 26. The Bible says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians but they went about to slay him which When the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Remember, that's where he came from originally before his conversion. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Notice those two words were multiplied. I would like to bring your attention to verse 31. The Bible says here, Then had the churches rest, it tells us here, throughout Judea and Samaria, Galilee and Samaria, and the last two words, the Bible says, the churches were multiplied. I want to preach this morning on the churches were multiplied. The churches were multiplied. Now, 
Follow along, I'm going to take a journey here because the focus in this chapter so far has been on Saul, right? His conversion, his calling, uh, his recovering of his sight, his baptism, his time in Damascus, the time that's not mentioned in Arabia, three years would expire, and then you find, them in, find him in Jerusalem. And so we're going to shift in focus from looking at Saul, and then we're going to bring our attention to the churches that are mentioned in Acts chapter 9. The first thing we notice as we read in our text this morning is the resolve of Saul. In verse 26, now again, he has been spending time in Damascus. It's been three years since his conversion. We know that he has um, remained certain days in Damascus. In verse 20, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he was the Son of God. So he has been busy for three years from his time in Damascus and Arabia, and now he goes on to Jerusalem. And notice here his desire. The Bible says he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And the first thing I notice about Saul is his resolve. The word here that we find in verse 26 is that Saul essayed to join himself. The idea of being of a saying is that he tried to. But he was not able to. Uh, He uh, was uh, going to join himself to the disciples, but the Bible tells us that there are several things that prevented the disciples from accepting Saul, and that was that they were afraid of him, and they didn't believe that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, suffice it to say, I think that their reservation is justified. Uh, He, at the beginning of the chapter, he was going to Damascus, uh, to imprison believers. We know that he went into houses. He, um, he dragged men and women out of their houses. He imprisoned them. He went from synagogue to synagogue. The Bible t- tells, them, tells us that he beat those many in synagogues. He gave witness against them. And so there's been a record from the life of Saul that he has been a uh, vehement persecutor and perhaps the, the strongest persecutor against the church. And so now he goes to Jerusalem and they don't want anything to do with him. Uh, But what I'm focused on here is Saul's resolve to join them. Why is that uh, peculiar? Well, first of all, because he's been saved for three years. And also because he's already been preaching in Damascus. But yet notice when he goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't go to Jerusalem and, let me put it this way, start his own church, do his own thing. He goes to Jerusalem to join them. Which tells us something about Paul because Paul has been converted. He has been uh, called and he's already started to fulfill that calling in preaching in Damascus. He's been baptized. He's been widely recognized as preaching that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And yet he goes to Jerusalem and he wants to be part of that group of believers. He wants to be part of the church in Jerusalem, which I believe helps us to understand the importance of being a member of a local church. You know, we live in a world that doesn't want to talk about membership and doesn't want to belong to anything. We live in a world where people don't want to have accountability or responsibility. They want to come and go as they please. They don't want to uh, be, uh, if you would, uh, be part of a church. And they, there's this attitude today, and I've talked to someone before, and I said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? I wanted to invite them, and perhaps uh, if it would lead into witnessing to them. And they said something like this, well, I am the church. 
And I think I understood what they meant by that. They, they meant that uh, I, I'm saved. At least I, that's what I think they meant. But the point is, they say, well, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. And so wherever I am, that's where the church is. No. If that was the case, when Paul went to Jerusalem, he would not have assayed, tried to join himself to the disciples that were already there. You see, it shows us that Paul wanted to be part of a group. Now, there are people today who don't believe in the idea of being a member of a local church, but we find that all throughout the New Testament, not only in the book of Acts, when you read in the early on in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says those that received the word and were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? The church that was there in Jerusalem. And so the people, when you read throughout the New Testament epistles, such as Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, anybody that is in the church that walks disorderly is to be, if you would, pushed out of the church. If they live in unrepentant sin, they're not to be counted among them. That is what you call church membership. In other words, there is a place where you decide that you want to place your life and your influence. It's not just, it's not becoming saved. It has nothing to do with salvation, but it's being part of the body of Christ in a local, visible way on earth. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what the work of God boils down to today? The local church. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. And I believe that it is the will of God, yes, for every single person to be saved, uh, to be baptized, but also to become members of a local congregation where they serve God and where they're accountable to. That was the resolve of Saul. This man, who, by the way, was a very educated man, we would read later in verse 28, the Bible says, and he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And so basically, see this, Paul has been preaching for three years in Jerusalem, uh, in Damascus. He has been fulfilling God's call upon his life, and when he goes to Jerusalem, he basically follows them around. He comes, if you would, underneath them, uh, in accountability to them. That was his resolve. And I believe it ought to be the resolve of every believer to be a member of a local church, to place their life and influence to do the work of God. And the work of God takes place through the local New Testament church. So first of all, we see the resolve of Saul, but then we see, obviously he was not received, but we see the reception of Saul. The Bible says they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. So uh, when he knocked on the door, they said, who is this, Saul? No. See you later. Uh, that would have been heartbreaking for Saul. I mean, he's been preaching for three years. He has already had a meeting with the Lord, and no doubt there's already the sense that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. God has already revealed it to them, uh, to him. Uh, but yet here, uh, we see his reception. What needs to happen here? And I think it's a good model for us to think about Saul, who, yes, he has the record of a persecutor, but he also has the record of a changed life as well. Verse 26, the Bible tells, or verse 27, but Barnabas, I, I, like, I like that interruption there. Saul tried to go to the church in Jerusalem. He tried to be part of the church of Jerusalem, but they would not receive them. And the Bible says, but Barnabas. Well, what was different about Barnabas? Barnabas, notice the, the, the descriptive terms and how 
Uh, Barnabas dealt with Saul. Uh, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I think there's uh, some good indications here for us. We see here, as we think about the reception of Saul, we see the assistance of Barnabas. In other words, just like Ananias had taken uh, Saul under his wing, had gone to see him, um, had uh, baptized him, encouraged him to get baptized, had told uh, Saul about God's call upon his life. Here now there's a second man that comes alongside Saul by the name of Barnabas, perhaps the Barnabas we read early on in the book of Acts, who was part of the church at Jerusalem. And he takes uh, Saul under his wings and brings them in. Notice there's two things we find about uh, uh, Barnabas's uh, reception of, of Saul. First of all, we see his conduct of compassion. The Bible says he took him. Now the idea here of took is exactly the same idea that you would find. Remember when uh, Jesus told uh, his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be betrayed uh, in the hands of sinners, die and rise again uh, after the third day. Remember what Peter did? The Bible says that and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. He grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ and he says, no, that's not going to be so. Now, this is a different type of taking, but nonetheless, he took him. I, I picture in my mind here that uh, Barnabas physically put his arm around Saul, perhaps grabbed his arm. Uh, that was a sign, again, of compassion where he, he, he brings them along. He grabs a hold of them, the Bible says, and then he brought him. The Bible says to the apostles. In other words, he associated himself with, I know, a persecutor but a saved persecutor, a saved sinner. You know, I hope that we never lose the conduct of compassion to those who are sinners and to bring them along into the church. Why? Well, because you and I are all sinners. There is no difference. The only difference is the Lord Jesus Christ indwells those who have confessed faith in Him. But here the point is that Barnabas, he, he sees the situation. And by the way, he, he is not afraid to stand, if you would, uh, at a different point against the apostles because they have not received Him. Now, we don't know the interactions. We don't know whether Saul went to them and spoke with them and they said, No, we're not convinced. But somewhere along the line, Barnabas took it upon himself to go against what the disciples had already determined to do. And he, bring, he, he grabs a hold of him and he brings him and notice he declares unto them. The Bible says, He declared unto them, verse 27, how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Barnabas is actually going to share the testimony of Saul. Notice, he says, he has seen the Lord, right, on the way to Damascus. He spoke to the Lord, and he also preached boldly at Damascus. And notice, his preaching has been in the name of Jesus. Now remember, that was what they tried to stop. The preaching of, they could do anything they would want except 
preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Sanhedrin uh, council in Jerusalem tried to get them to stop doing. Just stop talking about Jesus Christ. We're fine with their miracles. We're fine with everything else you do. But just stop talking about Jesus Christ. And here Barnabas said he's been talking about Jesus. So not only has he seen the Lord, he's spoken to the Lord. He has been preaching boldly in Damascus and identifying with Jesus Christ. So we see his conduct of compassion, but also his confirming of conversion. Sometimes people ask and they say, uh, you know, we, when people want to join the church, we bring them in front of the church and we, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll have opportunity to hear their testimony and how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and give testimony of their baptism. If they were not baptized here, where and when were they baptized? And then they come before the church. And if you notice, sometimes we'll say, would anybody, uh, could we have anybody recommend them to the membership of the church? What is, that? What, what is that about? That's about what happened here. Barnabas basically took Saul and he recommended him to the church. He said, I know Saul. He's been converted. He's spoken with the Lord. He's preached in Damascus. In the, he's identified publicly with Jesus Christ. He's been baptized. That's where everything happened in his life. And I'm here. I'm declaring unto you that's what's happened. Well, we do the kind of the same, if you would, in a different way. Not as extreme as bringing a soul into the church. But wouldn't that be wonderful if that would ever happen? And so Barnabas basically vouched for Saul and said that he is worthy of being in the fellowship. And let me just say this, that anybody who is converted, no matter what the past may be, a sinner, in Christ, everybody is worthy to be part of the fellowship. Amen. And by the way, may that be reflected in our attitude. You know, sometimes someone would come to church and they may not look the par, maybe in their dress, or maybe in their, their conduct, or maybe they, 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 they you know, we, we sense, well, th this person is not a, a church-going person. Well, by the way, isn't that why we're, why we're here? Isn't that the purpose of the existence of the church? To go into all the world to preach the gospel to, to sinners? Unless we forget, we are also sinners that have been redeemed by the gospel of Christ, and would it not for, were it not for the grace of God, we would be uh, just as them. And so may the Lord help us in our attitude. We see the resolve, the reception, we see the assistance of Barnabas, but also we see the approval of the apostles, verse 28. And notice, he was with them, that's he, Saul, was with them, the apostles' disciples, Peter and John, as Galatians 1 tells us. In uh, He was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So the uh, the word indicates here, the wording indicates that Saul was with them. So Saul was not leading the charge, he was with them, accompanying them wherever they went. Now, as I mentioned, it's been three years since his conversion. He's already preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus Christ. We all know, based on this time, it's been three years since his conversion. If he went to Arabia, that's when he's received particular doctrine from Jesus Christ himself. And then he comes and he, under the tutelage of the apostles. You see, that's the approval of the apostles. And by the way, there's always a, uh, it's always good for anybody that comes within the church to come and to be part of the group, not to take over the group. In other words, the church moves as one unit. And Paul comes and although he is no doubt already a powerful preacher, he comes and he is part of the whole. You see, nobody has the preeminence in the church except for Jesus Christ. And so Saul is not taking over here. He is becoming 
part of the whole. By the way, God's going to use him. By the way, we're going to, this is the last time we read of Saul until chapter 13 when he's at the church in Antioch. He, he blends in. Peter now, his ministry is highlighted again all the way to chapter 12. And so we see that there's going to be a time, as Saul is a preacher, he is called to be the apostle of the Gentiles. There's going to be a proving period in the life of Saul before he goes out and does the great missionary work that we know him to have done. So we see here the assistance of Barnabas, the approval of the apostle, but also we see the assertion of Saul in verse 29, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Now, we've already seen that. Remember, there was a dispute early on in the church between the Hebrews and the Grecians. And what is that about? Well, the Hebrews were those who were Jews who abode in Jerusalem and Judea. And those were converted and they were part of the church in Jerusalem. There was also part of the church, the Grecians, who were these. These were people who were also Jews but who lived outside of Israel outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, all throughout the regions around. So they could have been what we would refer to today as Africa or Europe or even in the east and Syria and the northern countries. Uh, wherever they went, they would come back, right? We see that in Pentecost, uh, uh, Jews would uh, go on a pilgrimage to observe the feast in Jerusalem. That's why you have Grecians. So Grecians were Jews, right? Uh, by blood, but they were spoken of as Grecians because they spoke the Greek language and they lived outside of Israel. And so what would happen is many of those Grecians would come and in Jerusalem there was a bunch of different synagogues. There was the synagogues of the Lycians, the uh, synagogue of the Grecians, and basically all those synagogues represented different groups of people uh, from different parts of the country, and they would kind of meet together. They would still have the temple worship, but they would all kind of th have their own congregation. That brought a lot of division and confusion in Jerusalem between the Jews, and so there was this animosity. And here, apparently, as he's debating with the Grecians, he has uh, gone to synagogue, he's preaching boldly of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're conspiring now to slay him and to kill him. Well, Saul is familiar with that because that's what he's been doing. At least he had done that three years before. But yet he asserts boldly the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 30, which when the brethren knew, now it's interesting here, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So the brethren here, that means the other believers in Jerusalem, they knew what was going on with the Grecians. And so they took Saul and they said, well, we're not going to risk your life. We're going to send you down over to Caesarea. And then he would go on uh, to Tarsus. So we see the resolve of Saul, the reception of Saul. But lastly, I want to see the result. And this is really where I want to spend the time. Notice verse 31. There's one word that says, then. Then. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in, in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now, the word then here brings us back to when the persecution started against the church of Jerusalem. Why do I say that? Because notice, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified. Go back to Acts chapter 8. Notice verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that's Stephen's death, 
And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they, the believers in the church of Jerusalem, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So when we read here in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest. Rest from what? From the persecution that started in Acts chapter 8. Because here, apparently, now that they have rest, that means that either the persecution has stopped or it was not as intense as it had been as it had been since Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So at least, think about it, it's been at least, we know, three years of that intense persecution. But something happened between that time, right? Notice Acts 8, 1. Uh, and at that time... And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, then something happened. Now, we might be tempted to jump up and say, well, I know what happened. Saul was converted. That is right. And I would say that you're right to say that he was converted. However, many other people were also converted during the time of Judea, uh, in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. And by the way, the persecution continued even though he was converted. So I would say that what stopped the persecution is not the conversion of Saul. I'd like for you to take note of two specific words in Acts 8.1. Notice, Saul was consenting unto his death. Chapter 8 verse 1. And at that time there was great, a great persecution against the, what's the word? Church. Okay, Church singular. One church in Jerusalem. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then had the, what's the next word? Churches. Churches. Persecution against the church, singular in Jerusalem. And then by Acts chapter 9, verse 31, so at least three years, a minimum of three years, now you have churches. This is the first time in the book of Acts that the word churches in the plural form appears in the Bible. Churches, plural. You see, when the persecution started, there was one church in Jerusalem. When the persecution ceased, there were many churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Now, that's interesting. And here's why I said that this rest did not happen because of Saul's conversion. The multiplication of churches which took place after the persecution ended was made possible because multiplication took place during the persecution. Do you notice verse 31? Then had the churches rest. First time we read about churches. Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. They've already been multiplied. Because it went from the church in Jerusalem to churches in, in uh, uh, notice, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And then those churches themselves were multiplied. So the multiplication of churches, which took place after the persecution ended, that we read at the end of chapter 31, was made possible because multiplication took place during the persecution. You know, how foolish it is for us to believe that God's blessing is only true when there is no trouble. No, my friend, God's blessing is true when there is trouble. 
And I firmly believe here that as you read Acts chapter 9, verse 31, that the churches would not have multiplied after the persecution ended if they had not already started multiplying while they were being persecuted. While the church was aflame. There are several things that tell us here in verse 31, and the Bible says that these churches, notice, were they were edified. Now that's the churches, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they were edified. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. So those three things are mentioned about the church. That's why I say that, you know, sometimes we might be tempted to get to verse 31. We might say that, oh look, then means that when Saul was converted, then the persecution ceased. No. You know why the churches multiplied? Not because of Saul's conversion, but because the churches were edified, because they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. That's why they multiplied. Not because of Saul's conversion, but because they serve a great God. You see, God's work is beyond any one man. Now don't get me wrong, Saul would do great things. But as you look at the timeline of chapter 9, verse 31, the multiplication of the churches happened despite the persecution of Saul and despite the persecution that continued for three years, even when Saul was not part of it. So, here's the things that we learned that we need to be doing as a church. Do we want to multiply ourselves? I hope we do. I hope that's our... If we want to be like the first century church, church and churches, then we need to follow the pattern. This is what God... God lets us in, and what happened? How did the churches multiply? It was not because Saul was converted. The church is multiplied because they recognize that in the persecution, God was great. And the Bible says they were edified. The word edified here means that uh, they, they, it means literally to build a house. It speaks of a house builder. It means to construct, to build, or if you think about it in the, the uh, psychological sense, it means to embolden. And so the persecution did not squash the church, it emboldened the church. Well, you know, I think we all are, we all know that as sometimes when as when there's just a little bit of resistance, we just are crushed. And rather, it should be a time when we are emboldened. Why? Well, how could the churches be built up when they're being crushed? Right, the persecution was crushing them. We read earlier that Saul made havoc of the church; he was destroying the church. And yet, while Saul, the Bible says those two things could be true. He was both destroying the church, and the Bible says and the churches were edified. That means they were built up. But no, they were destroyed. But no, they were built up. How can that be? Because of God. See, who can build something up while there's havoc in the church? God can do that. Notice, they were edified. They walked in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Why, why, would, the, why would the Bible tell us they walked in the fear of the Lord? Well, there's two things going on. There's the fear of man and the fear of the Lord. And I suggest to you that their fear of God was of greater degree than the fear of men. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. You see, the fear of man cripples you. It causes you to stop and to say, no, I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to give in. No, they walked in the fear of the Lord. When they looked at the persecution in front of them, they looked at God and said, we fear God more than the persecution. That was the first century. That's how, that's how they multiply, by the way. 
You see, why, what were they trying to do? They were, they were doing the work of God. They were serving and impressing God. Not the world. Well, boy, that's, I could say a lot of things there. You know, the purpose of the existence of the church is not to impress the world. But it's to impress God. God is to be feared, not men. Well, well Pastor, what if somebody comes and they're offended at the message? Well, that's not my concern. Have people come that have been offended? Sure. But I'm not trying to impress the world. I'm serving the Lord. That's how they were multiplied. The fear of the Lord. They were edified, built up in the time of destruction. They feared the Lord instead of fearing men. But also there's one more thing. The Bible says then they walked, notice, in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Comfort of the Holy Ghost. Now much is said of that in the New Testament epistles, but uh, notice comfort is linked to the Holy Ghost. They walked in the fear of the Lord. They were comforted of the Holy Ghost. I would say that Paul, as he mentioned in his epistle to the church at Corinth, he said that the, or Romans 8, he said, the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now when Paul said that, he's not saying that, you know, the suffering is no big deal. He's just simply saying that the glory which shall be revealed is a far greater weight than the suffering. It's not making light of the suffering. It's just making very weighty the glorification of the children of God. And when we look in light of the glorification of the children of God, and we look at the present temporal suffering, then compared, compared to each one, then at that moment the suffering becomes light. Right? It's a, it's a matter of perspective. See, if they were focused on the suffering, then they could not be comforted in the Holy Ghost. But they were comforted in the Holy Ghost. And because they were comforted in the midst of suffering, uh, that's how they were multiplied. Sometimes we may think that, man, everything is going wrong. And I don't think it's going to promote the work of God. As a matter of fact, if you study the Bible, when things seem to be going all wrong, that's when God does His mightiest work. Well, Pastor, look around you and wake up. I am awake. And so should all God's people be awake. That's when God does His greatest work. Do you see everything happening around you? Yep. That's the most exciting time to be a Christian. The Bible tells us they were edified, walked in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says, and were multiplied. Notice, multiplication is the continuing process that had already been taking place. Acts 8.1 one church. Acts 9.31, churches. Multiplication had already happened. And now those churches, plural, multiply. Why? Because they continued. You see, God's people, no matter what the outside circumstances look like, the testimony of the church is consistency throughout whatever happens. Persecution, no persecution, same thing. You know what tends to happen? Two things can tend to happen. Under the weight of persecution, they could have been crushed and just like, let's just quit. Or, when they got comfortable, they could say, oh, now we, we don't have to evangelize anymore. Now we're all good. See, that temptation is for both. When you're crushed by the persecution, you want to stop. 
But also when things are going well, you don't want to serve God. That happens often. And so may the Lord help us to think about the church and to think about our place in the church and think about those churches were multiplied. Do we want to see that happen, what happened there in the first century happen today in the 21st century? Wouldn't that be wonderful? To see the churches multiplied? Well, get this. It's not going to happen in Acts 9 because of one man's conversion. It's going to happen when the church together is edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and then God brings about something great. You see, it's what God does. It's not what you and I do. It's what God does when we serve Him. And so may the Lord help us.